That's a, a confession to make. I tend to make a lot of these in church, but uh, I had some ill feelings toward uh, the University of Texas A&M. Uh, I know, I know. One Johnny Manziel embarrassed my Alabama Crimson Tide a couple years ago, and so I had these like inner feelings of you know just disdain. And uh, but the tide is turning a little bit, pun intended. Um, that uh, we had some kids, 60 kids from Texas A&M, they just volunteered to come and, and to serve us. And uh, so I don't know if you smell paint around the halls, and maybe you've noticed a few spots around the church that are a little different, but then they just invaded our, the church this, yesterday afternoon, and uh, amazing kids, and so now all my uh, negativity is torn toward Ohio State, and I'm just going <laughs> to thrust it all that way. Um, so if you get a chance uh, to uh, not diss Texas A&M, think about those 60 kids. Um, and also, we had a great group that helped, uh, Mark and Shannon and others, that uh, helped cook them breakfast this morning for that crew. And then they had to, to head back, um, but uh, thankful for them. And we just have had a lot of great things happen around the church, a lot of just changes physically. Lonnie and Sue Cox have been a huge part of that. And... Uh, <laughs> They were here late last night in uh, texturing rooms, and uh, if you want to jump on board, we've got this uh, children's remodel section that uh, you can find on the back of your worship folder and, and hear a little bit more about that. This morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation, all right, Revelation. Now, if you, it's the last book in the Bible, and a lot of times when we get to this book, there's this, I, naturally, I don't know if you've seen the movie Home Alone, when Kevin just like, ah. It's just like you, you, we imagine pictures in our mind, maybe something like this. It's just like, the world is ending, tides everywhere, maybe something like this. Uh, it's always the Statue of Liberty that gets it, by the way, in these movies. It's just like, the end times, and Will Smith is somewhere fighting aliens, and, and that's kind of the pictures we think about Revelation. And I think that's one of the reasons where some people are just kind of drawn to it, that, that kind of a language. And it's called apocalyptic language. And it's big. And the metaphors are, are huge. And, and they're out there. And, and maybe some thoughts of like left behind come to your mind. Or a thief in the night, if we're going to go back a few years of rapture and tribulation and, and all of those, those things. But, but, but maybe the author... Jesus, the inspirer of Revelation, maybe meant something a little different than maybe it's the first thing that jumps into our mind. So Revelation chapter 1, we're going to start, we're actually going to be in chapter 2, but the very first sentence is this, this revelation from Jesus Christ. Now to kind of dig into what this is all about, what Revelation really is all about, is this word revelation, it actually means apocalypsis or apocalypse. Now, it's the word we think of with apocalypse, and we think about those scenes. But what that word really means, it's unveiling. It's a revealing. It's, it's God's way of revealing himself to his people. And it's not necessarily like a roadmap into, well, this is going to happen 2,000 years from now, us but maybe it was a message to the people of the first century. And then maybe it was a, mis a message to us in this century. It's an unveiling. Now, when I think of this unveiling, I think a great uh, kind of, of illustration to, 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 to really just picture what we're talking about here. Think about the movie 
Matrix. Has anybody seen The Matrix? Older movie. No one really understands the movie, uh, but somebody, some people pretend to, okay? But there's a, a scene that really is pivotal for the whole series, and it's the scene I want you to see right here. Mm, which pill would you have taken? Now, what Jesus is trying to do, I believe, through John, is, and through this letter, he's hoping that, that Revelation will be a red pill for the early church that will awaken them to the truth of what the culture that they live in. And hopefully even today the book will give us eyes to see the false life that we can get caught up in. It's a way of kind of shaking the early church. Now if we think about apocalyptic literature, the first, there's another book in the Bible that's very apocalyptic. If you can think of it, it's an Old Testament book. It's the book of Daniel. Daniel, okay? There's a lot of apocalyptic language in Daniel. Now, there's three main stories that really jumped into our mind if we go back to our Sunday school days of, of Bible stories of Daniel. Maybe these stories will jump into your mind as well. First one is we think about these people have been taken from their homeland, from Israel, the people of Israel. God's people have been taken capture, okay? And Daniel and these other Hebrew children, the, the strongest, the best, the smartest, they're taken to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the bad guy. He's the ultimate bad guy of those days. He's taken into to their, his kingdom. And what the king wants to do is basically he's trying to take these children of Israel and form them to be Babylonians. That's the, the place they are now, Babylon, to be Babylonians. And so what does he do? He says, Teach them our literature. Teach them our songs. Teach them about our history. And also, let's give them food from the king's table so they will actually become like the king's sons. And so he's trying to feed them as well, these good foods. Think Taste of Texas steak, okay? They're trying to just reel them in here into the kingdom. So Daniel picks up on this. He, he's alert to this, and he says, you know what? I don't want any food from the king's table. We'll just eat vegetables. We'll just eat vegetables. Now, this is not a, uh, a ploy to make you, us all become vegetarians. If you are, you'll all live longer than we uh, will, and we're all happy for you, okay? That's not what this is about, all right? Um, this is about something far greater than that. He says, no, 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 I, We don't want the king's food. We're going to eat something else. Story number two. You remember the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story? There's this king, Nebuchadnezzar. He builds this huge idol. Now, he's afraid that, you know, these people are, are still worshiping their God. So, you know what? Let's, let's build this idol. And every day at a certain time, we're going to play these instruments. And everyone will bow down and worship this image of me. So what happens? You know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow down. They, they won't do it. And that leads them to a potentially hot place. Okay? That's story number two. Number three is the story about uh, the, 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 some of the king's men trick uh, the king into making this edict about prayer. You can't pray to your gods. So what does Daniel say? We're not going to do that. My custom and what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray to my God. And I'm going to continue to pray to my God. And that leads him, obviously, to the, to the, the lion's den. Now, what do the, these things all have in common? It's, it's the, this king and this, this foreign land, this captivity, this culture that is trying to pull God's people to be like them. Now, here's the ultimate fear is this. One day God's going to come back. He's going to save the people from Babylon. And what could happen? Our children will turn to us and say, we kind of like it here. 
it's kind of nice here. You, you go back home. We'll stay here. Write to you, maybe even see you in vacation time. But I think we're going to stay here in Babylon. That's the fear. And, and, and that we will be transformed, that people will be transformed to being like the culture. I love what uh, Scott Daniel says. He's a theologian and pastor, and he says it this way. There's a big difference between the people of God who happen to live in Babylon and being Babylonians who happen to worship God. Now, I'm going to help you wrap your mind around that a little bit here. Thinking about John, let's, let's fast forward to Revelation, okay? He's writing to who? He's writing to the people of God, first century. Who's the culture that's just trying to influence and enforce their way on the people of God? It's the Romans. And so when he's writing in, in the book of Revelation, he's, he's saying to a people that are being oppressed, a people that are, are being influenced, that are, are being pulled in different directions, he's saying this, there's a big difference between being a Christian who lives in Rome and Romans who happen to go to church. And the message that we hear today is this. There's a huge difference between being a Christ follower who happens to live in America or wherever we live and being Americans and who just happen to go to church on Sunday. There's a huge difference in that. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me here? Okay. All right, good. So that's kind of where we are. I just wanted to paint that picture of what Revelation is, is, is all about, to, to, to shake up this, this mindset of this culture that's constantly pulling us and in, in, in causing us to be more and more like them. So John is writing this letter, uh, and he's on this island. He's been uh, thrown into this prison island because, quite frankly, he's been stirring some trouble for the Romans. So he's thrown to this prison, and he is writing this letter of this vision that he's seen. And he writes this letter to these seven churches, okay? There's seven churches that are mentioned uh, in, in the book. And starting in, in, in chapter 2 there, the seven churches are this, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, cool fun fact here. I know this kind of feels like Bible study. We're going to get past the Bible study in a second. But uh, fun fact here, uh, if you look, there's actually the trade routes of the popular trade route of the day is those churches in the exact order in which they come in the book. So these letters are delivered along the way to the exact routes in the book of Revelation. Pretty cool um, that's there. Now let's dig in. Chapter 2, verse 1. What does it say here? I hope you've got your Bible with you. If you don't, it's on the screen. It says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus writes. Okay, so Jesus is telling John to write this to the, to the what? To the angel of the church in Ephesus. There's a church in the city of Ephesus, an angel. That, does that not seem kind of weird to you? Okay, three theories potentially of what this can mean. All right, three theories. First theory is this, and the angel. What does that mean? That it could be a messenger that represents the church in Ephesus. For example, the pastor, or, you know, that actually the word means messenger. And so it's like a person that's going to announce the letter or speak the letter to the people. Most people don't believe that that's what's going on here. That just doesn't seem to fit uh, as far as with the language there. Second possibility is that there's actually an angel an angelic being that represents the church. Most scholars totally uh, just discount this, this theory completely. Third theory, they think that this is, is where it's at, is that most scholars believe that this angelic figure who we're writing to is actually, it represents the ethos 
of the church, the spirit of each church. What is the ethos? That's a weird word. Ethos, it's like the personality. It's the characteristics of the church. It's the, like, if we were to ask someone who'd been coming to HFC for a few months, what's kind of the personality of this church? What's the, you know, the, what's the vibe? What's the feel of this church? What, what's the, just the things that pop out, the characteristics about the people there? So that's really where most people land, that this, this angel represents this ethos. Now, what do we want the ethos of HFC to be? We've, we've kind of been thinking about that this last year. And uh, the thing that we've landed on, we feel like God's leading us here, is this statement that we want to help people. We want to reimagine life with Jesus. Can we be honest? I feel like there's a lot of people that have a lot of, had a lot of bad church experiences, that have had some negative stuff with, when it comes to church, and that's not Jesus, <laughs> So we want to give people an accurate picture of who Jesus is, the God of grace and mercy that extends out love to everyone. We want people to feel like instant insiders, to be a part of a community, to feel like they belong. They feel like they belong. To, To feel like, you know what, these people are kind of different. I mean, we live in this huge city, and the city kind of tells us the way we should live, but those people don't live like that. They live differently than that. So this ethos, that's what we're seeking. That's what we're hoping that the church will be like. Now, let's just digging in a little bit to this Ephesus, okay? That's the city we're writing, okay? The city of Ephesus is a city of about 225,000 back then, okay? Now, that doesn't seem like much to us because we are, how big is Houston now? Four million? I mean, it it just feels like it's just doubling every day, all right? We're huge. We're the fourth largest city. I mean, quite frankly, Ephesus is almost identical to what Houston is like today. What was it known for? It was a port town, a port town. Trade came in and out of the city of Ephesus. It was booming because of that. It was a melting pot of people because of that reason. People were coming here because it was a booming place. There was arts and and commerce and and all kinds of, just that was the place to be back then. And uh, it just really kind of feels very similar to who we are. They even had a stadium. I mean, we're talking about 2,000 years ago, and they had a stadium that could fill 25,000 people back then, okay? That's that's, That's pretty good stuff for first century, okay? So this is the city of Ephesus. It feels very much kind of like, like Houston. And this is, as we continue to read, this is what it says. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hands. It's a very um, majestic kind of, of, of language there. And seven represents completion uh, symbolically and just the sovereignty of, of God. And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now seven, would, you know, representing the seven churches, but what does light represent in the Bible historically? We are the light of the world. We're called to be the light that shares the gospel, to, to, to share and to, to be visible out into our community, into our world, to share this love, this grace that God has given us. We keep on reading. It says this, I know, this is 2 and 3 of, of, verse, of chapter 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. 
you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, have you ever had that conversation where you need to tell somebody something that's not good news, and so you tell them the good news because you know the bad news. is You kind of like cloak it to get to the, the, the part here. That's what we're talking about here. But what he's saying is this. You've persevered. You, you fought the good. I mean, you have been faithful. Now, t- t- why do we know that? Well, Paul came to the people in about 50s, in the 50s, 54, 55, and that's when the church was founded, okay? The book of Ephesus or Ephesians, was, was written in the 60s. Now, Revelation, written around 96, 97 AD. So we're talking about 40 years the church has been around. We've been faithful. You've been faithful. You've, you've been there. You've stuck through, okay? Now, here's, here's the part, the, the, the meat of what we want to talk about today. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. In some Bibles, it says this, the love that you had at first. Remember the height for which you had fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Have you ever been in love before? Have you ever been in love before? You can shake your head. If you're with someone today, I would definitely do that uh, just for your, your sake. I remember when Melanie and I fell in love. Uh, we met back in 1998 at Golden Bell Camp and Conference Center. It's Woodland Park, Colorado. Summer, college staff from all over the country came into this camp, and uh, we were counselors for kids, for teenagers and children for the whole summer. It was amazing. I mean, I'm from the southeast. We don't have mountains there. Uh, we don't have mountains here, and uh, they're just, it's just majestic and awesome. It snowed on my birthday, July 21st. It snowed. It was, it was incredible. And so we, we met each other this summer, and we were spending time together. And, uh, you know, I have to tell you, the, the minute that I saw her, the minute that I saw her, I was just, I, just, I was just hit, thunderbolt bolt kind of hit with her beauty, okay? I just was, it was one of those, you know your mouth's open, but you don't realize it's open kind of thing. And, and you don't know how long, yeah, there we are. Uh, I feel like we should have, this is like a got milk commercial kind of thing. It's just very... <laughs> pure and white. Uh, but when we met, we, we spent some time together. We, we didn't go out. We didn't, uh, we, we didn't date at that time. We just spent the summer together, and we were in these camp situations and just hanging out together. And, and at no point did we ever uh, do anything that would say, hey, you know, we're, we're together in any way. Yep, there we are again. Uh, I don't know who that guy is there. <laughs> Melanie never changes. Have you noticed that? She looks the same. Um, but at the end of the summer, at the end of the summer, I have to go home. And I've started, I'm feeling these things for this girl. And I've been watching her, just so impressed with who she is in Christ. And, and just, I mean, just giddy about her. And uh, I have to, I've got to go to the airport. I'm going to fly back to Nashville, to Trevecca. And I've got to have somebody to, to take me to the airport. Didn't have a car. Melanie volunteers to do that, Okay. Um, and so I'm starting to, to kind of, you know, I, I need to say something to her. I need, I'm going to leave and I'm never going to see her again. I need to say something to her, but I can't get the guts to do it. I'm going to just honest truth. And, and we're driving to the airport about 45, 50 minutes to Colorado Springs. And she volunteers to come inside with me to the, to the airport. It's like, absolutely, you can come inside with me. 
And, and I'm getting my ticket and, and all that. And, and, and she actually volunteers. This was back in the day where you could actually go to the gates. Do you remember those days? You could see someone off. You could have that movie moment. Okay. That movie moment happened for us. Okay. I'm about, I'm about to get on the plane to go to, to, to Nashville to never see this girl again. And, and I honestly don't remember the words that I said, but all I know is I just threw my luggage down. I grabbed her hands and, and just looked her in the eye. And in that moment, it was just, I mean, it, doves were flying and fireworks. and <laughs> No clue what I said that day. But all I know what I said was, there's something about you. There's, I have so much, I didn't say the word love. There, there was just, we just had something. And I knew when I looked in her eyes, she didn't have to say a word. In fact, she didn't say a word. That was the weird part about it. She just cried, okay? And she hugged me, and I get on the plane. Never, she didn't say a word. But I knew that something had happened there, okay? And that's, that was the start of it. And then we began to talk and call, because she lived in, in Idaho, and I lived in, in Nashville, and, and we would talk all the time. Do you remember calling cards? You remember those things? And you have to get like the 1-800 number right, and then you have like a 20 billion other digit number, and if you get the, the number right, you got to start all over again. We would talk for hours. We would talk for hours, and we'd just go back and forth. We would share things that we'd never told anybody before. Our, our passions, our, our fears, some things from our past, our insecurities, our hopes, our dreams, what we wanted, and we just back and forth. Sometimes it was just insignificant stuff, and you're just talking for hours, and you have those moments where you go, where did the time go? We've been on there for hours, and it's like three in the morning, and sometimes you would actually like fall asleep, and there's a puddle of drool there, <laughs> and you would wake up, and you're like, hey, but, yeah, baby, I heard that. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah. Have you had those moments before? Okay? And when we actually got to live in the same town together, we were inseparable. Sometimes we just wanted to be in the same room together. It, it, we just wanted to hang out and, and be together. And, and, and I would show people pictures of her when we were apart. And when we got engaged, I don't remember, if those, remember those moments where you're like, <laughs> you want to tell everybody. You want to tell everybody. He went to Jared's. <laughs> I mean, you just had those times. You tell everyone. You do radical things. You do amazing things for each other, spontaneous things. I mean, one trip, uh, I got bamboozled into going to the airport to pick up a professor that was coming in as a special speaker at Treveca. My friend Mark took me to the airport, and who comes out of the terminal but Melanie? Flew all the way, just spur of the moment to be there. I mean, those are the kind of things you do when you're in love. I love... I love, love, love winter retreats, and I hate them at the same time, okay? There's a part of me that's really torn today because I was the youth pastor here uh, for about 12 years, and I, or I was a youth pastor for 12 years for here, about five years, and I love camps. I love winter retreats. I, I love missions trips. I love all kinds of events that are like that. Also, I hate them because the food, unless Miss Cindy is cooking, is horrible, okay? People say that camp food is, can be good. No, it's a lie, straight from the devil, okay? <laughs> it's a lie. It's processed. It's terrible. You, you just take advantage of the fact that you are an adult and you have car keys and you can go to McDonald's and you don't care what kind of judgment anybody will give you. Um, and I don't like the beds and I don't like the late parts, but I love winter retreats. I love camps. And you know why? Because kids get away from all of 
this out there. And you know about this. It's a little different now that you're older. But the, the crazy noise of our world and the busyness and the schedules and the stuff and something happens. It's something magical that happens, quite honestly. It's something mysterious that happens. When I say mysterious, I mean uh, a God thing. Where kids come to know Jesus for the first time. I don't know if you've had that experience before, but they come to know Jesus for the first time. And they are, spend time at the altar, and they begin to, to change their lives in radical ways. And they do things to, to alter their futures. And they, they throw away things that are no good for them anymore. The church of Ephesus, when they first came to know Jesus, Paul came. He, he began to preach to them. And he was preaching, and he was starting this church, and, and people were a part of it. But you know what? They just weren't really... You know, they weren't invested. They, were, they didn't love what was going on. They just kind of were showing up to see what was happening. And then something happened one day. It's a strange event. It's, it's hard to explain. There was these guys, these seven sons of Sceva. We've ever heard that before. It sounds like a metal band. But they were these sons of this guy named Sceva. And they, they saw what Paul was doing. And it was kind of miraculous stuff was happening. And they said, you know what? This is kind of cool. We want to get on board with this kind of stuff. And so they, they went to this person that was demon-possessed. And they said, in the name of the God whom Paul preaches, come out. Something crazy happened. The demon looks back at them and says, basically, I know God and I know Paul, but I don't know who you guys are. And he jumps on them, beats them up, and they're out bleeding and naked running through the streets. Okay? Scary thought. Um, People see this, okay? They see this, and suddenly it hits them. It hits them that this God is real. Strange, I know. This is the verse that actually you see it there in Revelation, or Acts chapter 19. It says this, When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were seized with fear. Basically, they recognized who God was. He was the real deal. He was authentic. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed and they, what they had done. A number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. What does that mean? They were coming to church, but they had these closets full of their old life. Scrolls, okay? What was scrolls? Back then they had these little gods that they would offer these magic spells to to get the favor of these other little g-gods, okay? So they were going to church, but they were going back home, and they, they kind of pulled these secret scrolls out, these secret part of their life, and offering sacrifices to these gods. So what happens? When they realize this God is real, they start this bonfire, and they start throwing all this stuff from their old life back in there, and, and they, just real, they just burn it all, burn it all. And they begin to confess to each other what they had done and their sins of their lives. And as I think about these stories, I begin, I begin to think about first love and, and these different scenarios that we've just talked about. Now, I want to just pause right here and say this. For us to think about what it means to remember what love was like at first, what the author is telling us here, what Jesus is telling us here is not, we're not talking about butterflies in the stomach kind of thing. We're not even talking about goosebumps. I love goosebumps. You know what I mean when I say goosebumps? When I mean you come into church and you're like, 
I got goosebumps. I mean, that song was awesome. Jesus was obviously here. God was here because you get the goosebumps. Are you, are you with me here? Okay. All right. You get the goosebumps. I mean, you've got the butterflies. I just kind of that feeling that's inside of me that I care for this person. I love it. I don't think this is what God's talking about. In fact, when I was a kid, I used to think, why does the pastor turn down the AC every single Sunday? We'll have goosebumps every Sunday and Jesus is here, right? Okay. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I, I think there's actually these first love qualities that we want to pull from this passage, okay? A couple of things I want to highlight for you. First quality is this. It's clarity. When you have first love, there's clarity that this person is the real deal. This person is authentically who they are. This God is who he says he is. There's this moment where we, and the Bible says, come to our senses. We see God for who he really is. This God is not out to get you. This God is not a God that is out to, to, to destroy you or to make your life difficult. He is a God that is for you. He is a God of love and grace that has been from the very beginning seeking after you and pulling him toward you and desiring something so much bigger for your life. And when we see God for who he really is, we have that moment where we go, I get it. I, I get it. I see it, I get it. And when we have that moment, when we have that first love kind of, that moment, there's a transparency with God. You have this transparency where you suddenly, you're not afraid to tell God about the stuff of your life. Like you have these confession moments where you begin to say, God, I'm sorry. You've seen every moment. You've seen what I said to that person. You, said what I did. you saw what I did in the darkness of, of the, the light that no one could else knows about but I know that you know about it. And I know I need to come before you because you're a holy God and you're a God that forgives me. And you're a God that sets me free. And I believe that. And so I come and I confess that to you, God. Here it is. It's yours. It's, and there's a beautiful moment when we have that clarity of transparency where we just suddenly, it, it's always tied with confession. We get to that moment where you're a holy God and I am not and I just come before you and I just fall at your mercy and your grace. That's what that transparency looks like. Ephesians felt that. You can even write that, even in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, it's talking about, you know, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead. You're not just, a, let me just be honest with you, you're not just a bad person. I'm not just a, we're all bad people, okay? None of us are good. We're not, we're not good people. And God doesn't make us good. We were dead and he brings us to life. That's what it means to be a Christ follower, we weren't just, we're not just here to just be a little better. None of us are going to be a little better, okay? We're all bad people. But God saves us, and he transforms us, and he gives us new life. And that's what the Ephesians are, are he's calling them to remember that. And the next quality is this, of this first love. It's to hunger for more. You want more. You can't get enough. You want to know more about this person. You want to know every, about what makes them tick. You want to know their dreams, their hopes, things they love. You want to know more about God. I love when the, the author says, I want to know you more. Listen to the psalm here when he's, he's talking, and this, the psalmist is writing to God, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you, for my whole body longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary, and behold your power and your glory, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. 
And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as, the rich, with the, as with the richest of foods and with the singing of the lips of my mouth, I will praise you. This is someone who is yearning and wanting to know God more, this desperation for God. And it reminds me of those words that Jesus said when he's in the desert. He's praying and he's seeking God and he's fasting. And he says, you know what? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but the word of God. We're so desperate for the word of God, for his presence in our lives. And when you experience that, you do radical things. You do radical things. What kind of radical things do you do? You change your life. You forgive people that are unforgivable. Because Jesus enables us to do that. I love this scene in in the movie Fireproof. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but there's a scene where this guy has just been tempted and and seeing things on his computer. What radical thing does he do? He takes his computer, he puts it in the yard, and he takes a bat to it. Maybe there's some things you need to take a bat to. There are things that God is calling all of us to do, radical things, forgiving others, having a heart for injustice in our world, people that are brokenhearted. He wants us to do radical things like invest in others, to love others. He wants us to have a, do radical things like so, tell someone else about your faith, to share this love with others. He wants us to do radical things like say question, things like this, God, wherever you go, wanted me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, I'm willing to do, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to say everything. It's, it's, uh, my life is in your hands. That's the call that Christ has put on us. That's, that's first love qualities, folks. And this last thing, he wants us, this quality that if, if you've got first love kind of qualities, you, wanna, you want others to know about it. You want others to know about it. You share this love with others. If you have first, wo- this first love that he's talking about. Now, unfortunately, Unfortunately, I know some couples, I know some people that have kind of lost this first love. They stop acknowledging each other. They stop acknowledging God. They stop recognizing who he is and what he's done for them. They stop, uh, they stop having transparency. There's things that are hidden now, things that we keep from each other things that we keep from God and we just kind of cover up. There's no longer this hunger. There's no longer this seeking and wanting to know more about the other person or to know anything about God. It's just kind of a, you know, just kind of an apathy, a floating. There's no desire uh, for others to know. In fact, Rings start to be hidden instead of displayed. There's no stories to be told. You're not going to believe what God did for me. You're not going to believe how God used me the other day. There's no radical things happening. There's no spontaneous God leading and guiding. There's no obedience in that. That's what happens when we lose those first love qualities and there's no there's no sharing with others there's no telling others about what Jesus has done for us this is where the church in Ephesus is 
So what does John tell through Jesus, these people? Revelation 2 through 5 says this, 2, 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Remember, repent, and do. This morning, we want to remember as we come to prayer and we come to go before a holy God, we want to remember and recognize who God is and what he has done for us, that he is not a God that can be tamed. He is not a God that can be put in a box. He is a holy God that is full of mercy and, and is full of grace, a God that is for you, is for your family, a God that wants so badly the best for you. He wants that so badly for your life. He wants to be a part of your life. He doesn't want to be on the side. He wants to be consuming of your life. He calls us to repent. And quite honestly, we need to come transparent before God, not hiding anything. Just go before God and confessing to him. And he tells us that if we confess to him, he is a faithful God to forgive us and to set us free. I love 2 Chronicles. I've been reading it this week. It says this, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will open and my ears attended to the prayers offered in this place and do the things that we did at first. We should do the things that we do did at first, desperately seeking God, calling for his presence in our life, in our services, in our family, his direction for your family and for your life, for your heart, that he would give you his heart, replace your heart of stone for a living heart of flesh. This week, uh, we were at staff meeting. It's where we get together pastoral before we're all together, and, and uh, we start to talk about things that are happening in the church and what's going on in the future and, and how we can kind of all be on the same page. And, and uh, somehow or another, uh, we were just talking about some situations and things that were happening. And one of, our, uh, one of the staff members and the pastors said, essentially, you know what? I kind of feel like that our prayers are just kind of token prayers. And prayer hasn't been really a vibrant part of who we are as a staff, as a church. Now, when I heard that, I have to confess to you, something that jumped into my heart, into my mind. Pride. See, because that's usually the first thing that jumps into our mind when the Lord convicts us. Is this pride? No, we're not. We are. We're doing that. We're doing, because that, oh, that reflects on me. But in the midst of that pride, the conviction just kind of just smelted it. And, and earnestly, I feel like God is calling us to be a people of prayer. I believe God is calling us. He's calling you this morning. He's calling me to, to get on our hands and knees before our God and to recognize some first love qualities. So this morning, I just invite you, remember, 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 repent, do the things. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna play some music.
you need to do what God feels like. Uh, you need to do what God's calling you to do. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to forgive somebody else. Maybe you need to go somebody in this room and forgive somebody else. Maybe you need to grab the, the hand of your spouse and you need to come to an altar or to the stage. There are going to be pastors around everywhere. Maybe you just need some time alone that you need to just say, God, I need you. I need to seek you. I want you more than anything. And maybe this morning you would be honest and say, I don't even know what that means. And I need some help to, to guide me through that. And there'll be somebody here to talk to you as well. And maybe you're saying, you know what? I want to be hungry for God, but I don't know how. I don't really feel that. Maybe you need to say, God, give me that hunger for you. Give me that thirst for you. I want that desire. I just I don't have it. I want it. So maybe that needs to be your prayer today. So I'm going to pray to, to start us off. Move as the Spirit leads, and we're going to be obedient to God. Lord, I pray that you would fill this house with a, just with prayer all around, God, from every seat, from the altars, from everywhere. Lord, I pray, God, that you would, God, you would help us all to be obedient, Jesus. Lord, help us all to follow your God and your lead this morning, God. Lord, I, Lord, I want to get. I don't want pride to get in the way, and I, I don't want that for my friends as well, Lord. That are there's so many things that are potentially just walls and barriers in their life, God. And Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would crash all of those this morning, God, as we seek Your face and we hunger after You, God. Lord, I, I just, Lord, I pray that You would give us direction and wisdom and guidance in every prayer in this room, God. Lord, we pray for, for for grace and forgiveness, Lord. God, we pray that this house would be Your house of prayer, Lord. Spirit, fill this place. In your name. Go as the Spirit leads you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the folks that are here this morning. God, that have uh, given their lives to you. They've been faithful. Faithfully for years. And God, uh, they're honest coming before you today. They'd say they need a fresh touch in their life. They need a, a fresh start in their life. They need to remember um, not the, the goosebump times, Lord, but just the, those early stages of the, the yearning and the desire to want to wanna be uh, faithful to you, God, uh, to want to follow you wherever that, that meant, Lord, to want to to look like you and to talk like you and to act like you and to do whatever and wherever you would call, Lord. We're seeking after and hungering after you and, 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 and desiring to, 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 to want to know your word, God, and to, to spend time with you and to, to have that closeness and that connection, to be in love with you. God, I, I know there's some people in this room that they come to church on Sundays, but I, I worry if they love you. They truly know you. God, I lift those people up to you right now. God, I pray for that person in this room that this is all new to them, Lord. That, that they don't know you yet and they're, they're seeking you now. and they're, They feel that call. They feel that, that, that pull from you, Lord. And God, I pray that you would Reveal yourself to them. God, make it so abundantly clear. Lord, I pray that they would have that, that, that moment, that time when they, they recognize fully who you are, a Savior and Lord, 
God, and that being in relationship with you is, is so easy to start. It's just a, it's a, it's a turning of who we, we were and, and becoming who you, you're calling us to be. It's a repenting. It's a, a saying, I'm sorry. It's a saying, God, I want my ways to be your ways. And tell me the next step of where you would and what you would have me to do. God, I lift up the marriages in this room. Jesus, that they've forgotten those uh, first love qualities. God, I pray that you would remind them, help them to do now, not just to be reminded and remember, but to do and to act. Lord, if we come into this place, if your spirit is real to us as it has been today, as it reveals itself in, in our heart and our lives, but if we leave this room and we do nothing, then we have nothing. If we have faith without love, then we are nothing. We are a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. Oh God, help us to be a people of action, of love, that spreads your light into this world. Lord, albeit through, uh, through action, through words, through whatever way possible, through the joy of, of our, our lives. God, I pray that today we would do something spontaneous for you. We would praise you. We would, we would follow you in all that we do. God, thank you for what you're doing. And we fully recognize you as our Lord and Savior. We praise things in your name. Amen. Amen.